0: Fans, teachhoops.com slash 816basketball has all the resources that you need to be a better coach, period. Today's basketball coaches are dedicated, year-round workers who face fierce competition to keep their jobs. And excellent instruction is out there, but finding it is inconvenient, unorganized, and it can be hit or miss. So visit teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Sign up for the free trial. You're going to want to go past that free trial. We guarantee it. And be sure to join our good friend, Billy Kegler, on the Competitive Mindset Podcast, where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow on social media at Competitive Pod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank
1: you, Brian. Pleasure to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a high school coach, a AAU coach, a college coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest.
0: Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. We are heading to Colorado for the first time. Am I right on that? Yes, okay. we
1: are. The Rock, Rocky Mountain High.
0: This is uh, super exciting. Colorado, I don't know if I will. We'll tell you about that off the air. Maybe some, some good times that I've had in Colorado. But a beautiful state. We have a beautiful person coming to us from Colorado Springs. He is assistant coach at Colorado College. Rob Burke, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast.
2: Appreciate you guys for having me, man. Excited to be here, man.
0: Coach
1: Burke was just telling us he's just a he's a recent transplant out to Colorado Springs and he recently just experienced his first Rocky Mountain snowstorm, which I'm yeah. sure was fun.
2: A little bit different snow out here, not a lot of moisture in it. Uh <laughs> people take the uh the leaf blower and they just blow their they blow it off, man. There's not a lot of moisture in it until the sun hits it the next day.
1: Really? That's interesting. Dry.
2: Very dry. Um, you know, there's no humidity. I was outside today and it was like, I don't know, it was in the 30s, but I don't like shorts and a long sleeve tee in this. You know, about 7,000 feet up above sea level. So that sun hits you pretty good when it's out.
1: Ooh, I would get tired walking to the bathroom at 7,000 foot sea level. <laughs> no,
2: joke, no joke. I'm on the third floor. Every time I come to the top of the steps, I'm gas, man. I'm, gas.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty much at sea level. I'll come to the top of the steps. I'm gas. but. That's- <laughs> <laughs> I've got no excuse, but uh, yeah, you know, I've always heard about dusting. I guess a dusting of snow. So maybe that's that's the. Uh, I, I don't know. This is a science experiment here and learning. This is all a safe space. We're learning together, right? So <laughs> you've lesson. lived
1: your entire forty years in South Carolina. You don't know anything about snow.
0: I've seen about two and a half snows, I think, in forty
1: years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Coach, why don't you uh, quickly take us through your uh, journey in coaching and how you got to be there at Colorado College?
2: Sure, sure. Um, Man, it it started a long a long time ago. My dad was a college coach for, whew, twenty almost thirty five years college uh, before he moved on to the NBA. Um, he was at Chowan College for twenty seven years. I ended up playing for him back at Chowan College um, for four years, and I really didn't I didn't want to stop playing. So I was lucky enough. Pete Strickland, former Coastal Carolina head coach, uh, got me the opportunity to try out for some teams in Ireland. I went over to work. Uh, basically twelve weeks during the summer of of basketball camp. And during the, during the weekends, I would try to go around to each club and try out for them. And I got really lucky stuck with the team that brought me over there to work their camps. And uh, I had a great year. I ended up being, it was really my first taste of coaching They fired the head coach midway through and made me the player coach. So, uh, you know, I never subbed myself out, and if uh, <laughs> I got gas. I just used my timeouts. So that was kind of my first experience of coaching, and like I said, I didn't want to coach, and that year ended, and um, I was really lucky to uh, know um, Coach Epley. Larry Epley used to be the head coach at Limestone College, gave me my first opportunity. I, I basically stayed over there all summer after that first season was over with, and I uh, went to um, Limestone in August. And I, did, I flew home. I didn't even go back to to where I was from. I just went right, right into Charlotte, went down to Gaffney, South Carolina, man, and started started my coaching career. The best thing about it was I was able to like still play so I could jump in practices. I could work guys out. And Coach Epperly, man, just turned me loose. He was like, hey, we got to sign eight guys. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, but I, I was fortunate enough. I had been around the game and been around recruiting with my dad and, and really got to see him operate. So I had a you know, more than most coaches I had a bigger base and a wider array of experiences than most people. So, you know, I hit the ground running there. I was there two years, went back up to North Carolina. I was at Campbell for two years, one with Billy Lee and one with Robbie Lang. Um, And that was a great experience My both my mom and dad uh, went to Campbell. So that was really a a fun experience. Um, And I got lucky, I got really lucky, Um, became a head coach, I think I was 28 or 29 uh, when I became a head coach at Sparnberg Methods College. And I was there six years, man, and it was uh, what a just a great teaching experience. Um, you were able to make a ton of mistakes, and nobody really watching, you know, and nobody, um, not a lot of pressure on you to, you know, have to go out and win right out the gate as some of the young coaches run into at bigger jobs and bigger platforms. Um, so that that six years was unbelievable. Um, the first three, my dad was in the NBA with the Trailblazers, and so then he had a he had some serious health concerns and, and basically had to retire. And so that year four, f- no year five and six, he came and lived with me during the season and was my assistant coach. And that was just, um, gosh, it was an unbelievable experience. Now that I look back on it, man, I, you know, you think, you know, everything you think you've been around and you've got pretty good at four years of a head coach experience. My dad had forgotten more basketball than I knew. So it's just a great learning experience, but he also, you know, still continued to let me grow. And, um, I went to uh, a Citadel with Chuck Drizell after that. So I was at the Citadel for five years. Just a great, um, another learning experience. Um, Really got to think outside the box when it comes to, you know, when it comes to just, hey, how are we going to play? How are we going to recruit? You just can't do normal things at the Citadel. You got to be unique and you got to be different and you got to have a different message that you're selling and recruiting. And I felt like we did a really good job with that. You know Chuck got all five years of his contract. I wish they would extended him, but you know this day and age, that's the nature of the business. And um, we had the AD that hired us. He moved on. New AD came in, so I was um, fortunate enough to go work two years for after that two years for Mark Byington, and uh, I switched the whole script. I would never been a never been in administrative position, and Mark um, was you know just really gracious and hired me as a director of basketball operations, and um, I went there. Had two great years, and I really got to see the administrative side of running a program. Um, you know, I, I took a lot of things because when I was at junior college, I didn't have an assistant. So all the things that I did at junior college, I, I said, all right, I got to turn around and do this at, at the Division One level. And we had great support. Um, you know, I had several ADs I worked with, and it was just really, really eye-opening to see, hey, you know, you're going to have to be a CEO if you're going to be a head coach at the Division One level. And um, I did that for two years, and I got really lucky and joined CB McGrath's staff back at Wilmington in the same role as director of operations. And uh, got to learn a lot of basketball from Joe Wolf. He was one of our assistants. Uh, spent a year with him, uh, Jackie Manuel, Doug Eslick, and, and obviously CB. And so year one, I was ops, and it really again on a bigger platform, bigger than Georgia Southern from a basketball standpoint. You got to see, you know, what it's really like how a basketball program operates. Um, from a budget standpoint, from a travel standpoint, and how, how you need to do things. And, you know, the one thing about Wilmington is they do things first class, man. It's a championship-level program. Uh, year two, Coach Wolf becomes the head coach at the Greensboro Swarm. Coach McGrath bumps me up. Um, I'm on the floor coaching, back doing what I do and, you know, what my passion is and, and what my life is all about. And, uh, you know, year three, man, one thing about Division One basketball, when you don't win, People are quick to pull the trigger this day and age. And, uh, you know, Coach McGrath got a short end of a stick. They didn't give him the full five-year plan that he had signed up for. And they went in a different direction. And uh, I happened to be the only guy on staff that had head coaching experience. And um, I got thrust into a very difficult situation. We had lost, what, 13 in a row? No, 12 in a row. Mm-hmm. I got the job on a Monday evening, and it was, um, it was a 12-week just – crash course on how to figure things out, man, and how to make uh how to how to salvage a season, really, to be honest with you. And if I didn't have all those other experiences, you know, being a head, being my own boss, being a head coach, um, you know, having having the junior college experience along with Campbell and Limestone and Citadel, man, I probably wouldn't, I would have felt right on my on my face. But, you know, we had 12 games, I think, and we went five and eight, if I'm not mistaken, after we had lost 13 straights. So, okay. you know, I I I look at it as a great learning experience. Um, and I look at it as, um, really bonded relationship wise. So that's kind of been my journey. And then, you know, I, they decided to go in a different direction. They hired Takeo Citadel who had been there previously before us. And those guys had proven that they could win at Wilmington. And, and I totally understood that, um, would have loved to have done the job myself, um, like anybody. And, uh, I tell you what COVID hit, and it has been a mess since. So, um, I just kind of I've been working kids out. I was going to, over to Brunswick Community College working some guys out, making a bunch of phone calls and really trying to find the right niche. And uh, all along myself and Coach Connero had been talking throughout the entire summer because he left Bakersfield, uh, Cal State Bakersfield to come back here to Colorado College, which is his alma mater to become their head coach. And he's trying to establish himself as a head coach and really bring this program back to where he wants it and, and where he played at it um, in the winning tradition that they have here. And so, you know, we just kind of been talking all along and they weren't playing until the second semester. So I didn't have a gig. He gave, he created a gig for me and you know, I left last Friday and here I am, man. So I'm fired up about it. Well,
1: <laughs> coach, there's so much there. Uh, so many, so many great names, so, so many great places you were at. I mean, you talk about Chuck Drizzell, obviously the son of the great lefty Drizel and Joe yep. Wolf. Uh, you know, former North Carolina player played for Dean Smith and, um, you know, was playing the NBA for, I don't know, 10, 12 years, Joe did. And, but you talked about, you mentioned Pete Strickland. First of all, anyone who knows Pete Strickland, he is one of the all time great camp guys, Pete Strickland. One great camp best. guy, great talker, great coach, too. But I mean, just a great camp guy can give a camp speech. No question. Um, but I've decided we're going to take this podcast in a totally different direction because Uh-oh. you mentioned one place that Brian and I completely love and that's Ireland. So we're just going to talk about
2: Ireland for the next hour. Let's say <laughs> I don't, I don't remember much, to be honest with you. Man. I was a young fella back then. I was ripping and running back then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure I couldn't imagine if they unleashed me in Ireland at 22, <laughs> 23 years old. No, the question, you know, to go back to that time, And you had kind of said your dad had coached for a long time. And we've had this theme with a lot of our guests whose fathers were longtime coaches. And some people were like, yeah, I want to do exactly what my dad does. And some sort of were like, no, I don't want to do what my dad does. You know, where did that, again, obviously you love your father and he he worked with you. And so you have a great relationship with him. Why is it you didn't want to be a coach initially or didn't think Uh, you wanted?
2: Just because I I guess, because, You know, as a young kid, I was around all my dad's great players at the junior college level. And my dad had, I want to say it was 20, 22 total pros, two NBA guys. So, like, all I knew was like, hey, man, you know, make yourself a player, make yourself a player. And so as I got older and older and older and coming up through high school, I just I just really got the itch to play. Um, And I was like any typical high school kid. I played basketball, football, baseball. But then, you know, I had an injury my end of my junior year of football season. I jumped right in basketball practice, got hurt. And I just from that point on, I focused on hoops and it was a passion, man. It's, it is to this day. I mean, I worked out in the lobby yesterday. We're in a hotel and I was doing two ball dribbling in the lobby yesterday with nobody around. So like <laughs> I got I probably got a couple of screws loose somewhere, but you know, it's just a, it's just inside me. It's who I am as a person, man. I, I love hoops, man. And, and to be honest with you, I don't want to coach like like if I could play every single day. I played every single day. That's how much I love basketball. And I just, you know, as I've gotten older, I can't do it anymore because your body starts to break down on you. Um, And, and so in my mindset, leaving college was like, I want to, I want to see if I can, you know, play at a, at a, at a good solid professional level. I knew I wasn't an NBA guy. I I knew I wasn't a top division guy in, you know, Germany or France or England, but because I knew the game and I knew how big it was throughout the world, since 92, like there was plenty of places you could go and play and have great life experiences. And and I wanted to do that. I knew Coach Strickland had done that. Um, He put me in touch with the Irish national coach, Inda Burt, who was also Pete's assistant at Coastal Carolina, one of the great all-time Irishmen. Um, And so I had that experience to play and and my body really, like I had four ACLs, man. And I could just tell, like, my knee was starting to really, really um, become a problem. And so, you know, when they made me the player coach midway through the year, that was my first taste of like, all right, I I still can get the competitive, um, juices going by coaching and playing. And so, you know, I, I knew there wasn't a lot of money involved in it. Um, you know, they would take care of your expenses and put you up. But, you know, after that, man, you had a couple hundred dollars in your pocket. That was it. So, you know, a job opportunity in limestone, I just, if I was going to get into coaching and try it, that's probably what i needed to do and so I made that decision and I tell you what man with if it wasn't for coach Epley letting me practice you jump in drill work work guys out you know rebound for guys put them through skill development turn me loose in recruiting I mean it was an unbelievable experience not too many assistants get that and there's nobody else there coach Epley's like hey here's a list of guys we got to sign eight of them and here's our team over here let's get them better so like there you know that was just a you can't ask for a better situation coming out and really wanting to Learn the business and, and learn it the right way. So that's kind of that was the whole experience. You know, yeah,
0: you know, I could I could talk about Ireland for for a couple hours too. But uh, you know, I I'm I, you know we we were talking off the air before we hit record about how we've known each other for for a long time through yeah. basketball, obviously, and back in the days when I was in South Carolina, and um, just talking about this this network of coaches and. The the end question here, Rob, is just how hard it is to really remain in the game because you talk about – a couple of you know changing staffs here changing staff there and just hearing your answer there just knowing the passion that you have for basketball and for kids and for coaching and for playing and and all of that uh I'd love for you to tell our listeners just a little bit more about your experience just to to be able to to remain in the game and just how hard it is just how few opportunities there are and for you to be able to fly out to Colorado here you know so it's just to me I'm just I'm always struck by guys stories that that are able to stay in the game and just
2: how hard uh, it really is. Can you tell it's us? It's amazing, man. That? I mean, so when – I'll just kind of start here. So when I did not get the job at Wilmington, there was probably – let's say I don't even think there was 20 – maybe 27 jobs turned over last year. Where on average at the Division One level, there's 52 jobs, there's 65 jobs that turn over a year. And so, you know, you can have one head coach and three assistants and an ops guy and maybe a video guy. So there's a handful of jobs out there at the end of the year. There was not this past season. And so it was really, really slim pickings. And so now I had to take a step back and it was June and I was, I was looking around going, Oh man, there's all these hiring freezes. There, there's, you know, all these COVID restrictions. Hey, we can't do anything right now. You know, we don't even know if we're going to play. It was a lot of, a lot of um, different entities that were going on. So I started calling guys that had been out for a year. And then I started con- connecting the guys that are out. And I'm saying to myself, like, there's some really freaking good coaches that don't have a job right now. They're way better than me. And so, you know, it's just a really, really interesting deal. Um, it, it, administrators, um, you know, it's, they're just, they're in a position where they have, they, they, at the Division One level, they have to win. They have to con- continuously put competitive programs on the field whether that's football, you guys saw it in Columbia this year, whether that's in basketball, whether that's in softball at a, at a school that supports it, um, you know, soccer for school supports it, you know, those programs, they got to win. And so when you don't win, man, those people want to make make changes. And, you know, I've been in situations like at the Citadel, I thought we did a really good job. You win 15 games at the Dell, right? You've done a heck of a job that year. Um, and we just met, we got right to the edge. I think we, our most wins were 12 or 13 wins. I mean, we're two games from, you know, hitting the mark that you can hit it to sit up. Think about it, two 20-win seasons in over 80 years of basketball. Two. Les Robinson had one, and uh, the great Hall of Fame coach that was there and went on to NC State to win the first national championship. I cannot think of his name right off Oh, I uh, know. What's, um... Yeah, I stumped you. My oh. Man. So... Mark Sloan. Norm Sloan, bingo. There you go. So, you know, that was, that was a really tough basketball situation. Um, I was lucky enough to stay in after Citadel because of my relationship with Mark Byanton and him being at the college of Charleston in the same city. Um, you know, from there, you know, I met Ben Betts and got to work with Larry Dixon at Georgia Southern that increased my relationship with Jeff Connero, who his mentor is Rod Barnes. And so it all kinds of ties into <laughs> itself, man. And, you know, going back to, um, I probably could have stayed at SMC for another couple of years or whatnot, but I just had that itch. Like I wanted to compete at at a really good level. I love the SoCon, the big South, the colonial, like, I think those levels to me is like, it's who I am as a person is what I'm about. Spending four years with a kid, trying to get the best you can get out of them. If there's a red shirt, you're in there. Great. Stick around, get a degree, be the best player you can become, help us try to win a championship. Like that level right there to me is is what I'm looking for as a coach. And, you know, being at Campbell and Billy Lee, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had that experience if I didn't go to camp there, you know, 12, 13 years in a row, man, I got to build a relationship with him. Um, you know, my godfather, Joe Gallagher, uh, he worked with Larry Eppley at the university of Richmond under Dick Terrence. So, you know, it's just all these different relationships in these basketball communities. And I've just really tried to, um continue to develop those relationships and i'm on the other side of it now to where there's all these young guys where i used to be 28 27 26 i'm having to start to build relationships with those guys and continue to keep the relationships i have now because the one thing i have learned in this business man ain't got nothing to do with what you know there's a plenty of good coaches out there right and there's plenty of guys that are available to coach it's all about who you know and it's about your relationship and not just uh, a fiscal relationship—it's a meaningful relationship. People got to trust and believe in you, and um, you know that you can help them out. And so that's something that um, you know, this past eight nine months is really something I've tried to focus on too. But yeah, man, it's um, really interesting how the how the basketball world works and and how it's all intertwined and connected, man.
1: That's really funny. I almost want to do an experiment now. Write write my name down and and try to connect webs and see like how you know. You can do How it, can man. I get to uh you know Greg Popovich? Can I get to what? Greg Popovich in less than five people, you know, or I something like that. One. Huh?
2: I think I can get to Pop in one. His lead his lead scout guy, Dave Tellup, former North Carolina oh, okay. uh, Scouting Sergeant. I didn't know <laughs> there you go. Well,
1: well, I was gonna say Timmy Timmy not coaching this year, but I could have went Dave Odom to Tim Duncan to Greg Popovich. I could have okay. Popovich just popped in my head, but yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, all right, Coach, the name of the podcast is The Greatest Games, and uh, you told us about a fun one here in the email. I, I just I, I love the atmosphere of it because unless yeah. you've been in these type of gyms and these type of games, and I, I say atmosphere, and I'm almost being a, a little bit sarcastic. So why don't you take us into the, this raucous gymnasium for this 12-minute
2: start? Yeah, I try to, I try to set the tone. So, uh, you know, Region 10, Junior College – you have, you have uh, the South Carolina schools, which at the time were Clinton Junior College, um, ourselves at SMC, and I kind of count Walt down there in Brunswick because he's right on the line. And then you had the North Carolina schools. So that year, the region tournament was at Lenore Community College. And we go up there. I think it was Friday, tip-off, bam, win that one, bam, win on Saturday. Excuse me. And so now here it is Sunday, Clinton Junior College, who made it to the finals, and Spartanburg methods are playing in Lenoir Community College's gym on the outskirts of Greenville, North Carolina, at twelve noon. I think uh, my sister was there, my mom was there, and a couple of aunts. Uh, Clinton had their bus driver and maybe a handful of fans. No more than twelve people in the gym. The bus driver always there, coach.
1: The bus driver. Yeah, always no question.
2: There. So uh, we tip it up, man. And that was my that was my second year. So I had uh, I had who did I have? I had. Philip Philip Buxton was a really good player for me. I had a couple other pieces that were really good freshmen. So they were a freshman class and we kind of wrote them. I had John Prelude, Sean Creel, Dorman kid. Prelude was a James Allen kid. And it was just, um, you know, we went in there. It was a battle. And the crazy thing was both teams were making unbelievable plays. And uh, I had Jarvis Jackson from Columbia, South Carolina, is one of our better players. Um, and we did not, they had the, we had the lead, two point lead seven or – no, no, it was about 11 seconds ago. Baseline out of bounds, Clinton's ball. We had doubled handoffs and ball screens all year long. They throw it to the corner from the baseline. The guy that threw it in goes to get it. Handoff. Jarvis and Buxton don't double. They both go with the guy that that set the screen or the handoff, and they kind of went with him, no communication. My man raises up and barriers a three. I call a timeout. we got to go to length of the floor. We get it on the run, two, three dribbles, front of the rim, and we get – A tip by Buxton, a tip by Prelude, and then a tip by, I think, Anthony Middleton. And, man, it just – it was like tip, tip. And I was like, oh, it's going in, it's going in. Bam, lost. So it was – it was just – but it was a great game, man. I mean, just an unbelievable uh, experience just for the kids. And nobody was there. I mean, you got three refs, 12 people in the stands. But it was just – you know, when the game is played the right way, both teams played the game the right way that day, it was – a gut-wrenching experience for us but at the same time it was probably one it's probably one of the best games i've been a part of
0: so it's it's a championship game like yeah 12 kids 12, 12 people in the gym to watch it was there ever any doubt that your kids would show up and and play as hard as they played or what did you have to just did you have to get in the locker room and say no know, it was going it was
2: the adrenaline was i mean they they were they were they were fired up uh the good thing was i had three gaffney guys so i had bucks and i had blake uh I can't think of Blake's last name. And I had one other kid from, that had walked on from Gaffney. And at the end of the day, if you know anything about them boys from Gaffney, they are gonna win. If it's ping pong, if it's pool, I mean, they'll turn it into a fight. They love winning. It, it's just something about them Gaffney boys. And so like, you know, they kind of carried the load there as far as their enthusiasm. And then the other guys were, you know, just ecstatic about it. JP was, you know, JP was JP. If you knew him, John Prelude, man. He's just a tough, hard nosed kid, so I, I didn't have any concerns about them showing up. And once that ball got tipped and they got to sweating, shoot, they got to competing. Both teams. Uh, <laughs> and I'm the coach. I am not in.
1: This is just my hilarity. Um, I went to a really small Division three school. Didn't play because I was no good. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, it was – there would be nobody in the gym on Wednesday nights for the games, and we would go. And my one friend coined it as – he used to call it a library-like atmosphere. <laughs>
2: hey, I've done that, man. I've been – I played Division three at Chowan. I've been to Frostburg on a Saturday afternoon. Frostburg, <laughs> nobody. Nobody in the gym. But you just play because you love it, you know. And, that, and you know, I'm, coming up, I probably could have walked on at NC State or I could have walked on and, you know, been on the bench and been a part of a – but I wanted to play, man. I wanted to play, and it didn't matter where, you know, I just wanted to make sure I was in the right basketball situation for my game and what level of a player I was, man. And that's that's the one thing that I, I like about small college athletics.
1: Talk about – and Brian asked sort of about it, you know, were you, did you ever have to worry about your kids playing hard, and you said no. And talk about the hurt after the game – And what you said to those kids, because it's the same as when we watch the NCAA tournament every year and that team with with full of seniors loses, you know, in the second round, you see those kids crying on the bench. Talk about what you say to kids after a game like that, because to them, it's, you know, it's the NCAA tournament with 10 million people watching. It's the same thing.
2: So I was really lucky. So the first year I coached, I had all these sophomores. And so year two, the year, I think we went 27-4, and four, and we made it to that championship game. That whole team I had constructed as all freshmen. I think I had – maybe I had two sophomores and Krill and Prelude. That was it. And so the, the, the team was, in, in my mindset, they're coming back next year. So we stayed out on the floor. We shook hands with them, and they give this, you know, pre- trophy presentation. Uh, and, and the junior college, they give you a circle. Like they don't give you a big trophy. It's a piece of wooden plaque and a little – NJC thing in the middle. And so we, we sat there and watched. And that was, I, I, you know, I was pretty emotional. Uh, I'm an emotional guy, man. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. If you ever see me coach, um, I'll never forget driving home. I, I didn't go home with the team. The team went uh, on the bus, always back to Spartanburg. I live in that area. My, my folks lived in Wilson, which is 20, 30 minutes away. I know. I know Wilson. Well, and I'll be honest with you. I, I, I can tell the truth. Me and my wife drove over to my grandparents' place. I get a little choked up about it anyway, but, um, I just sat in, in my my granddaddy's like yard, kind of in the car, man. And I was I was just thinking about being a little kid, and like you know, you don't get to ch- you don't get to play with championships all the time. And I just I felt like I had let the guys down, so I was I was extremely emotional. Um, I tried to while we were at the gym, I tried to you know be the good coach and give hugs and say, hey, this is where we got to get back to next year. You know, I was trying to give that message. But then when I got away from them, man, I was I was probably more emotional than they were.
0: And that's what it is, right? It's the end of the day. It's it's a game, and it's it means something. And, and like Oz, I think you're what you're right on the money. Every game means something, and, every, and like you say, championships don't come every day, every every year. And I I've, I've referenced this podcast episode episode sixty nine with Phil Martelli about a million times, but just hearing you Rob talk about being at your grandfather's place, thinking about this where you were shooting hoops, and uh, you know, I, during that episode, Phil just or uh, Coach Martelli just took me back to those times where i was just out in the backyard thinking right. about three two one championship and then your guys to be able to have that opportunity i just yeah. i'm just reminded that this game means something in the i think you just hit it right on the head every level means something it doesn't matter
1: i like, matter. I like matter. how you <laughs> filled them like you were like you and him were boys no oh, i i will edit that part out quickly coach i'm so, so, so sorry so but so yeah you're best friends right right yeah
0: but uh but yeah, just Rob, I just, I just i hear your passion coming through loud and clear and i just think it's uh it's just so uh, apropos in the, in the world we live in today with difficulties and pandemic or whatever, and it's to be able to focus on, on a game. And it means yeah, something yeah. and you lost the game. you uh, the, the kids put it on the line and, and it just didn't work out. And so I guess I'll ask you this question. As the game didn't work out. Would you consider that year a success or what were some of the successes from that year?
2: Um, yeah. We, you know, I was able to establish myself as a head coach, um, you know, I think the year before we went 13 and 13, if I'm not mistaken, I had a a sophomore based team and, you know, just trying to really instill my culture and instill the way I wanted to coach, how we wanted to play. Um, And then we get this fresh group in the very next year and we were able to do that. Um, You know, I was able to challenge our our players, um, you know, to, to, I think we went undefeated at home, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'd have to go back and double check that if we did lose, we only lost maybe one to maybe Aiken tech or something like that. But, you know, it was, um, it's just a every year, anytime you can win twenty plus ball games, I think it's a success. Now you know th- those other two pieces that are: can you win the regular season? Can you win the tournament championship? Those things are really, really hard to do. Um, you can look across the country and see a lot of good coaches, and you know they get right there and they just can't get over the hump sometimes. And you know, I was just thankful that we were there. I was thankful that we were able to win two two games in a row in the tournament, which is really tough to do. Um, but yeah, I would definitely consider it a success because what it did was. For our program, it was that we were able to go back into the state of South Carolina, where we that was the only state we really could recruit, and we were able to get involved with good players: Kendrick Robinson, Vernon Taylor, you know, guys that that were, you know, out there that we were trying to recruit and build. Brendan Knox, uh, who ended up at Auburn, so you know, I was able to really use use that platform to push it forward after that.
1: Well, Coach, this brings us to the end of the Greatest Games podcast. This is one of my favorite questions to ask. We usually ask this at the end, and I have a feeling just from getting to know you a little bit, and you said you're kind of an emotional coach. I want to know that thing that if I ask kids that played for you in that game at, uh, at Spartanburg Methodist, and I ask some kids who played for you at Wilmington these last couple of years, and what is that one thing that Coach Burke always says
2: over and over again? Hmm. Uh Probably, probably belief, man. Belief. Like where there's a will, there's a way. And you got to have, you just got to have a belief in who you are as a player, who you are as a person. Um, And you got to, you got to have a little confidence about yourself um, because you got to believe in what you're doing and what you're preaching. And I, I would say the one saying that I do say all the time is where there's a will, there's a way if you got, if you got the will inside you, you and everybody's got that ticker right there, man, it'll tell you a lot about a, a lot of different people, whether they're competitive or not. But if you have that will and that drive, there's a way now you, you need to get guided that way, left to right. Some coach is going to put his hands on you and really try to touch you. But I would say that, I mean, to be honest with you, you can see this kid behind me here in my background, man, like they're locked in. I mean, you can tell the way they're looking at me, they're locked in. And it was my belief in th- those guys. And I preached it every day. Like, Hey, we got the will. We got to find a way. And here's our plan. And here's here's the path that we need to go down. And um, you know, I just I'm passionate about it, man. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna accept anything less than you know what I I know I can get out of you and what you can bring to the table. So I would say, where there's a will, there's a way.
1: Well, coach, I had my first practice of the year today. We finally got back in our high school season here in New Jersey. And I think I said the S word more times than ever today. I think that was the
2: word of the day. Well, on a recruiting tip, if you've seen the division three guys up there in New Jersey, man, call me. I'd love to try to bring them out of Colorado. It's beautiful, man. Okay.
1: And I told my best player to shoot the bleeping ball about a hundred times today. (laughs) He's just one of these kids. He's just an unselfish player. And there's no need yep. for him to be unselfish on our team. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, he's you got to be thankful that he's yeah. got a coach telling him to shoot it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I mean, begging him to shoot.
0: <laughs> I, that had to be the S word, though, right? Not it, it was shoot it. No, or, no. The
1: other or, S word right. was probably.
0: Oh, oh, I got you. Okay. My bad. So sorry. So sorry about that. But, uh, Rob, man, this has been, this has been awesome. Um, your, your journey from from Ireland now all the way out to Colorado Springs. And, uh, from there, who knows, uh, just it's, 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 it's neat to, this show has been so awesome to be able to reminisce with guys that we've known for other years and just to be able to hear more of your story. We can't thank you enough for, thank for coming. Thank me, here.
2: man. i To be honest with you, I'm stuck in quarantine here for another till Saturday. So we got a hotel lobby and some fan bikes and some slab boards and a ballroom that we're doing ball handling in. So I'm I'm, I'm just thankful to be, you know, talking to other people, man. Well, there's about 90 episodes you can
1: listen to, by the
2: way. I got a couple. I saw it. I was going through it last night. I'm going to pick on a couple. Definitely (laughs) listen to the Eastman one.
1: Yeah, oh, it's the
2: go. best. I mean, we, we could have talked to him for six hours. If he was, he man. Out. I worked for him. I uh, when I was at Limestone College, I drove to Ashland, Virginia to work at uh, Randolph Making College in a in a college skill development camp with him, Gannon Baker, and uh, there was two other gentlemen there that were really good coaches. Well, wow. oh, Byron Samuels was there as well. Really good basketball coach. Wow.
0: Yeah, that was Episode 71 there, Kevin Eastman. Uh, we had quite a run right there, Chris de Blasio. This whole, this whole show has been quite a run here. So to, to get all the way to episode 91 here with you, Coach Burke, This is uh, it's quite a thrill. But uh, I mean, if, you're, if you're quarantined there in the hotel, we just, we just have to have you on tomorrow night. We'll do a, we'll do a series of 14 in a row. That's, that's, that's what we'll do. But, uh, but for this one right now, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host, Chris de Blasio. I am Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games.